Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast, presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey, co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. We are thrilled to announce the launch of this podcast network to add more avenues to grow awareness and innovation around analytics and sports. We are excited to make the panel discussions from our 2019 conference, which covers a wide range of sports and analytics topics available via podcast for the very first time. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us. And welcome to day two of the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is David Mazza. I'm a first year MBA student at MIT Sloan. And it is my pleasure to introduce to you our panel, Rebooting the Lakers-Celtics Rivalry. Our distinguished panelists today are Jeannie Buss, controlling owner and CEO of the Los Angeles Lakers, Wick Grausbeck, Wick Grausbeck, managing partner, governor, and CEO of the Boston Celtics, and Jackie McMullen, award-winning writer for ESPN. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for. Uh, Thanks for fighting our lovely New England weather to get here for our first panel of the day, so which I just, promise you is going to be fun. Oh, David yeah. has something else to say. I apologize. Sorry. I'm just very excited about yeah. this panel. just want to say that the panel will run for about 45 minutes. We will leave about 10 minutes for audience Q&A. If you'd like to submit a question, please do so through Twitter using, using the hashtag rebooting a rivalry. Thank you. Am I good? I can go. OK. Uh, so thanks for being here this morning. So we've, we've been talking quite a bit offstage about this incredible rivalry, one of the best in sports, maybe the best in sports. And as you all know, it goes back many, many years. So I want, I'm going to start with you, Jeannie. Your, your dad bought the Lakers and literally changed the fortunes of the franchise. So what is your earliest memory? of Lakers Celtics. What's your most searing memory of Lakers Celtics? Uh, well, um, my father, Dr. Jerry Buss, um, made the decision to buy the Lakers because he felt that there was a very um, strong East Coast bias in the NBA, uh, meaning that um, the only teams that mattered were the Knicks, Philadelphia, and the, of course the Celtics. We won eight, 11, Excuse me, 11 out of 13 championships. See? We, I say See what we. I mean? I wasn't actually there. <laughs> I mean, it's not really a bias if you've got 11 trophies in a row. <laughs> and, and so um, it was really important to him to, to be able to beat the Celtics. That really, that's how he started mm -hmm. um, his career in the NBA. And, you know, we continue that. Um, legacy today. Okay. <laughs> Want to beat the Celtics. But give me your memory. So how old were you when your dad bought your um, I was a senior in high school, so okay. I was 17 years old. So give me your most vivid memory of this rivalry. Maybe it was a regular season game. Maybe it was a playoff win or loss. What really? Um, you know, I think um, there are so many great moments. But I, I, would, I would say it was the first time, um, I believe it was, now I'm going to get this wrong. Um, 80, 85 was um, when the Lakers won in Boston. And right. that really um, was a moment that, you know, I think is still the, the most cherished um, uh, championship, even with all the other ones that we've won since. 
just because it, it validated exactly what Dr. Buss wanted to do. And you know, a player like Magic Johnson, who's now part of our front office, you know, it's, it, that's what drives us, is um, the uh, competition and- Were you there? Um, I was, of course I was there. I, I think I had seats back in the, in the old arena. Um, they literally had seats where you sat behind like a concrete pole. That's where all the Lakers fan went. That's yeah. where the seats that we they We put an extra us. one up just for you. <laughs> yes. That's great. Wick, were you at that game? I was not at that game. I was watching it uh, from my summer job. Okay, what was your uh, summer job? Give us, uh, how old are you? I was, I was in my, I'm a lot older apparently than Jeannie. I hadn't realized. Um, no, uh, yes, I did, I did know. But uh, um, I was working in New York City, uh, didn't go to those games, but 84 and 85, those great years of rivalry uh, woke me up to the whole thing. But I'm born and raised in Boston. I've watched mm -hmm. all four teams all the way through. Sure. Uh, as long as I could remember, but um, 84 and 85 were the, the key years. So I wasn't there because I wasn't quite astute enough or accomplished enough to get that call. We, I was usually the 20th person in, because back then we had 20 journalists covering Celtics versus Lakers, and that is no exaggeration, from the same paper. 20 people from the Boston Globe to cover one game. That's wow. seriously how important it was to us. I didn't make the cut for that particular game. Anyhow, I bring this up because I think my experience in all the years I've been covering the NBA is the climate of player relationships have ch has changed dramatically, dramatically. I mean, in 84, when Magic misses a free throw in the garden, Cedric Maxwell, I mean, I'm James Worthy, excuse me, misses a free throw, Max walks across the floor, with, gives him the choke sign. Kevin McHale takes down Kurt Rambis in 84 with a clothesline that would now get him suspended probably for 60 or 70 games. And so, um, Dennis Johnson, the former Celtic, told me a great story. He used to work out all summer in L.A., which still happens to this day. All players from all teams work out in L.A., and Irvin always used to welcome him to those games until he signed, you know, ended up getting traded to the Celtics, and then he showed up to the game, and Irvin wouldn't let him in. <laughs> so to me, this, this, I don't feel the same. I don't want to use the word, an well, animosity. There was some Becky, animosity. Becky, I, I, I have felt it, uh, you know, Kevin Garnett, and mm -hmm. Rajan Rondo on our teams uh, that were good, most recent, good, really good teams. You know, KG, the things he would say and do to opposing players. Yeah. Rondo in the huddle of the other team, mm -hmm. you know, listening. Okay. Um, and, uh, and it goes on from there. And, and then the, the Pierce-LeBron duels through the years mm -hmm. that have gone both directions. Um, there's real, and Russell Westbrook just in the press the other day, you know, he hates everybody else and he forbids everybody on the Thunder from talking to another team. I don't think it's all gone. I think that's overstated. Okay. But so Rondo is now with the Lakers. He had a really, I mean, what a fantastic game that was at Boston Garden and he hit the game winner. Mm -hmm. I believe he went and visited your locker room before the game. This is kind of the thing, I mean, I just can't imagine that ever happening back in the 80s or when, even now. Whenever I see anybody from 08 from that team, I spend as long as I can with them. And there was mm -hmm. one right after we had traded Pearson Garnett to Brooklyn, they came back through the first time we played Brooklyn uh, in Boston after the trade, I think it was, and the lights go down for a ceremony. There was a, uh, I guess they went down for the anthem to get ready for the anthem. Right. And I feel these arms around me from behind, these huge arms. I'm like, it was KG. Right. And, and he's, we weren't huggy, you know, but this was just a time to reconnect and that was KG coming over. And I mean, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. That connection is lifelong.
So Jeannie, you have Irvin Magic Johnson in charge of your franchise. Wick has Danny Ainge in charge of his. How perfect so is can that? you just talk a little bit about the kismet of that? And Irvin, we were talking again backstage, who has one of the most congenial men I've ever met. When you are with him in a room, he makes you feel like you are the only person in the room, yet he is a cold-blooded killer, truly. He um, ha you know, goes around with the big smile on his face, but I can tell you he is bloodthirsty and uh, cutthroat and wants to win and, and will do everything he can to get us where we need to be to be back at that level. And I remember when he, he started the job about two years ago, he was in conversations with Danny about a, a player uh, that he was interested in. And I, all I could think to myself was, if Irvin really thinks that Danny's going to make a trade with him, he's, he's got to really think about that one. But uh, it, Danny would throw his mother into the right trade. <laughs> That's <He would>. <laughs> Danny is one of the most controversial athletes and GMs I've ever been around in my life. So some of you are too young to remember this, but Danny got in an altercation with a player named Tree Rollins for the Atlanta Hawks. And it was one of the greatest headlines I've ever seen in any newspaper, and it was Tree Bites Man. That was the headline. <laughs> and yet, over the course of history, because Danny is so controversial, if you top, stop NBA fans on the street, more than half of them are convinced that Danny bit Tree. Yeah, Danny, it drives him batty. I mean, I'm sure it does. If he had bit him, he'd be happy to take the credit, but it was the other way around. <laughs> right, exactly. Edgar Jones bit him once, you know, his, and his dentures came out in Danny's arm. Ask him that story sometime. <laughs> but just, if you can give me an idea of, so there, these two are going to be talking back and forth. This is how it's going to be. Larry Bird, for a time, was in Indiana, so mm -hmm. you're, Larry and Irvin might have had a brief time to talk trades. There's got to be some trash talking going on here about the, I mean, because I do believe even, you know, Irvin has only been with the Lakers, but Danny was with Phoenix, you know, but there are, I think these loyalties run pretty deep. Am I right? Well, I think Danny felt like the only GM job he would ever take was the Celtics. I think that, or it's perfect for him. I think it's probably the same for Magic, mm -hmm. I would imagine. Um, although he's got the Dodgers too, uh, but we can explain that later, um, <laughs> what he's doing over there. But um, he's, I, I think Danny being back in Celtic Green and bringing the pride of the 80s back um, and having won a couple of rings back then, it adds to his stature, because not only does he make trades, but he helps Brad manage the team. He's talking one-on-one -on -one with players all the time, and he's bringing a perspective not only of being a successful player, but a Celtic champion. And um, so I think it, it really helps that he's back to where he should be with the Celtics. So part of the title of this panel is rebooting this, this rivalry, and I think both of your franchises made pretty seismic decisions in the last 10 years or so. Jeannie, in your case, it was a decision to keep Kobe Bryant and to let him retire as a Laker. And I wonder if you can take us through the ruminations over, that was a pretty big decision, and it may have set you back for a while. You're on your way back now, but what went into making that decision? Um, you know, I think that um, when you have a player like Kobe and, and what he's done for the franchise, it was really important to us um, to have him be a Laker for life. Um, I, I'm not sure that's going to be possible in the future just because the way the, the collective bargaining agreement has evolved, it's harder and harder to keep players on your team for long term. And you know, we're, we're, our league's about revenue sharing, but it's also about player sharing. 
and the player movement, while it, it, it can seem painful, has actually been um, very entertaining for fans, you know, to, to, to think about different trades and, and all the movement in the league. Um, but if I could just go back to, you know, talking about the rivalry, um, I think it's important that um, people realize that, um, I, you know, you really define yourself um, based on who your opponent is. And so the better your opponent is, it brings out the best in you. And so when, when you know, we can sit up here and, and kind of tease each other about how we feel about each other's franchises, but I admire what the Celtics do and, and their approach to, to things um, in terms of the style of play they have, the, the coach, just how they, they, they do things, because it means that it makes us have to be better at what we do. And um, you know, so there is that respect. It isn't just, you know, I want to, you know, beat them, which I do, but I, you know, I want, I want it to be, you know, everybody doing the best job uh, that they can. And certainly, um, you know, in our case with Kobe Bryant, um, it was, we had this opportunity to, you know, renew that rivalry with the Celtics. Mm -hmm in the, the 2000s, which uh, made it very special. Right, and I think you probably, I'm sure you knew the risks or understood that there would be a step back by hanging on to Kobe, right? I'm sure that those discussions. Yeah, I mean, you know, he, he's a player who hadn't suffered a big injury right. in his career. And then of course the Achilles. Um, but when I look at somebody like Vince Carter, and you know, I really thought Kobe could play into his 40s, I, mm -hmm. you know, because of the way he worked and the way he took care of himself. But unfortunately, that, that Achilles, Achilles really, a tough one. really took a toll. Yeah. Yep. So Wick, the Celtics made a seismic decision of a different kind. Paul Pierce, who wanted to begin and end his career as a Celtic. But Danny, I remember Danny telling me this three years, four years before he did this. He said to me, I'm not going to be like Red Arback and hang on to my big three too long, which I think history will say that Red Arback maybe should have made a move on Parrish, McCarroll, or Bird, yeah. but he decided to let them Right. fade off into the sunset together. How difficult a decision was it for a player who won you a championship, you as your first championship as an owner, who had become so engaged in First and year. only. But this is a good time to put this on, just to remind me at least it's one. Oh, I, can't, I knew, I was gonna yeah, ask you where so, you're so, so. I know. <laughs> okay. Wow, I'm glad I set that up for you. Yeah. Uh, but how I was you were, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry it took me so I'm long. Just, how difficult was it to yep. pull it down? It was obviously one of the biggest steals, and I don't think it was hindsight either. I think many of us knew at the time you made that deal that it was an incredible deal, and it was going to set you up for the future. I'm sorry, it's just true. And, uh, well, but how difficult was it for you personally? Well, first of all, I brought Red Auerbach back into the organization. First thing I did when I took charge, um, he had been out. Brought him back in as team little, president. A little, not covered well enough, by the way. You're correct. What happened to Red Arback? And, um, and he, he, I worked with him for four years, and I listened. It may not seem like I listened all that much. I listened closely to Red for four straight years and took in everything I possibly could. Um, and he did trade Danny Ainge, which probably Danny still burns about a little bit. So I think Danny saw both sides of that. And you but know what? He traded Danny. We were on, I was on that road trip. We were in Sacramento, had just ended a long West Coast trip 
we fly commercial back then, fly, flew all the way home, and then they told him he got traded to Sacramento. Yep. I always felt bad about that. <laughs> well, he feels a little bit bad about it too, but he learned from it. And um, I learned from Brad, he said, you know, kid, I'll, I'll back you up as owner, but you gotta do what's right for Celtic Pride, which was my entire, and my partners, Steve Pelliuka, Bob Epstein, my dad, and, and all the rest of our partners, we burned to try to do what's best for Celtic Pride, not for any other reason. We're doing our best, it doesn't always work out, but we try, it's just like Lakers pride or, and, and the respect that we feel for them. And so I knew I had to do what's right. And uh, I've got, I know that's a data and stats conference. I've been here since the first one. And I've been saying every time there's data and stats, but then there's common sense and intuition and gut feeling and eyeballs. And so I'm sort of in the middle. But I looked up the data, I think it was a data driven decision to make the trade. So in 2008, our team was rated 10th offensively and first defensively. We were 66 and 16. Mm -hmm. Paul Pierce was 31, Kevin Garnett was 32, and we won the championship. 2010, offense 15, defense 5, 50 and 32, lost in seven games to the Lakers. Jeannie remembers that. Yeah. She forgot all about 2008. 2013, <laughs> offensive rating. 24, defensive rating, seven. Team record, 41 and 40. Pierce is 36, Garnett is 37. We lost in the first round to, of all people, the New York Knicks, four games to two. Got blown out. Hmm. Danny came in and said, I can trade those guys for two first round picks. I said, go get a third. I think that group over there and that owner wants to win and they're convinced that these guys can still play and I'm convinced they can still play as well. But if we get a third first round pick, and so Danny came back and said, we got a third first round pick. I said, go get a fourth. He said, have you never done a deal before? I said, I've done a few deals. I want to wait until they say no. I'm not sure they've said no yet. Danny came back and said, hmm, they said no. I said, make it a swap. We'll swap that pick. And we, we are expected to be far worse and they're expected to be far better. It may never swap. We didn't know that it would swap. We thought right. they'd be quite good, to be honest. We didn't think we were pulling one over on Brooklyn. But let's get a swap, it's a chance. Oh, I think we did. <laughs> and, well, I didn't, uh, just to be honest, we didn't think this was a fleecing. We thought that though that three picks plus a swap was, a, was the way to rebuild and that swap turned into the number one pick which turned into Tatum and another number one pick. So right. it turned into the Markel Fultz pick. Right. Um, so that's how the deal went, and it was hard to do, but, um, you know, there's the hug from KG. I hung out with Paul twice in the last few months. Um, you know, it, we moved on. It was hard to do, but I wanted to make that trade, and so did Danny, and so did right. Brad, our newly hired coach, to start the rebuild. Right, and I think really what happened in Brooklyn was those players got old fast, but also Darren Williams just didn't end up being the player that the Brooklyn Nets thought he would. He was, I remember when, when Paul and KG went there, they thought he would be, they were saying, you could be an MVP, we're, we're, not, we're not coming here to be the MVPs of this team, and that, that's where things went awry for them. So I care deeply about relationships with the players. I, I, I notice the players caring deeply about the teams, even though they move, a lot of these guys really do care about the legacies of these two great franchises as an example and being part of the, the banners in the rafters and all of that if they can. It's really different at the Lakers and the Celtics. Um, I care about them. I didn't trade, approve the trade lightly, but, and it still maybe uh, hurts a little to this day to have done it, but 
um, it's led us to a place of we've had a few more years of, of it was the way we felt like we had to rebuild. Interesting footnote on that trade, as I'm sure you remember, Kevin Garnett had a no trade clause. So Paul had to convince Kevin, look, they're going to trade me. Please come with me. And KG agreed to oh, it. I didn't know that. Yeah, he had a no trade clause that year. So I do think each of you have unique challenges because you are the Lakers and you are the Celtics. I think it's a lot like the New England Patriots. Everybody really roots for them to fail. And I imagine there's a little bit of that for both of you. And I think, Jeannie, you probably felt it quite a bit here um, in recent months with, by the way, we cannot say, I can, but they cannot say two words. Anthony Davis, okay? <laughs> it's tampering. Who? Thank you. But I can. And so the furor surrounding Anthony Davis, I thought, revealed a lot of things. And one of them was, and you don't have to speak of he who shall not be named, but I would like you to speak to the idea that there's just, there's a feeling in this league, I think, that we don't want to help the Lakers. Did you feel that? Um, that's, I don't, we don't use that as an excuse, you know, that um, I think that there, there are teams out there that, you know, don't want to see us do well, just as, you know, I mean, you, you have to take care of your business, your team, and um, what worries me is um, if there are teams colluding behind the scenes. That's, okay. that, is, that shouldn't happen. And it's not fair to the players, and that's not how the, this league runs. And, um, you know, Wick and I can sit up here and, and, and joke around about our rivalry with each other. Something that my, my dad always stood for in the league was um, he could take off his Laker hat and consider everything based on how it would affect the league, how would it affect all 30 teams, mm -hmm. any decision that needed to be made. And Wick is, is very much that way in terms of his leadership at the Board of Governors, that um, you have to take an overall view. Um, we're only as good as our weakest team in this league. And, um, you know, so um, I, I think that there's a lot of rivalry and maybe some jealousy, um, but um, we don't run our team based on what other people think we should or shouldn't do. We, we just do what's best for us. And, um, you know, when, you're, when Wick was talking about uh, having to trade, you know, players that had won a championship for him, there was a day where we had to trade Shaquille O'Neal. Right. And um, just for financial reasons, you know, he wanted a contract that my dad didn't want to give him, and um, he was traded. But the day he was traded, you know, I spent, you know, time building that bridge, you know, because I knew someday he would be part of the, the Laker family because he'd been part of our history. And yes, he went on to win another championship in Miami, but um, when he... Um, and he uh, went on to be a Celtic for a year, and our ratings went from two to 10. And right. you know what? If he had when I signed my new TV deal. If he oh, hadn't gotten Shaq. hurt, talk about data analytics. <laughs> the analytics with Shaq on the court versus off the court for you guys were through the roof. We had Shaq and Rondo on the same team, and everybody and their grandmother was watching us. Yeah. Uh, Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. But I, I, do, I don't... Are, no, go you, ahead. I, uh, speaking of the Board of Governors, if you, I think if you took a, uh, an anonymous or secret ballot of the 30 governors and add in Adam Silver and you say who uh, is the most respected uh, owner around the table, 
or in the very top few, it might be Jeannie Buss. And she doesn't speak all the time, but she speaks and she's listening to it. Thank you. It's true. So if you also took a poll of the Board of Governors, my little birdies tell me that if you asked about two collaborative owners that are trying to affect change with some of the old guard and one by one they're leaving, it's these two. These two are two peas in a pod. Yes, they're on separate, very uh, competitive rivalries, but they've become a little bit of a collaborative force inside that building also. So strange bedfellows, as we say. <laughs> um, one of the things I, I do want to talk a little bit more about is this idea of player empowerment. Um, certainly, Jeannie LeBron James led that charge. I don't think there's any question about that, beginning with the decision. And he has encouraged, I guess, players to control their own future. I think it's a big departure from the past. Wick, you're dealing with this now. You've got a, your best player, Kyrie Irving, who is a little mixed now on his future and could really change the course of what your franchise does. So I wonder if you can each speak to that. And is it a good thing that the players are disempowered? How as owners, do you have to be more collaborative than perhaps you were in the past? How has it changed the landscape of the NBA? Um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm proud of our league. I'm, I'm very proud of our commissioner who, um, who wants our players to stand up and, and talk about the things that that are important to them, um, to be part of a, their community and to be leaders. Um, you know, the, the, the parts that I worry about are when they become outspoken and, and talk about, you know, in the middle of their, you know, five-year contract, talk about wanting to be traded. Mm -hmm. That which I think is happening is, a lot. Right, which I think is something that we need to discuss, you know, probably in collective bargaining because that, that really puts a, a team in a, in a tough position. And, um, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be that way. There's got to be a better way for, for that to be handled because it, 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 it's not good for the player because the fans are upset and uh, there, there, there has to be a different solution. Um, but, you know, um, going back to, you know, players leaving your team and, I think we have to address also the humanity of, of these are people, the players are people, we're people, and there's friendships that happen. And I think that just because a player leaves your team and joins another team, it doesn't mean you have to stop following them on Instagram. You know, that, that you can be happy for them in their new situation and want to see them do well. And, um, you know, where it doesn't, there isn't any accusations of tampering or anything like that. I mean, the connections that are made, the friendships that are made are real. And I don't know if you can really legislate, you know, you're never t to speak to that person, don't make eye contact, or, you know, you'll be investigated for tampering. That I think we have to to figure right. out because it's ridiculous. Well, you, you mentioned something that happened last night. Jeannie and Wick were at the Celtics game together last night, sitting together on the floor. And Trevor Ariza, who plays for the Washington Wizards now, poor Trevor Ariza, thought he was leaving the Suns for a good team. Uh, well, honestly. Um, I mean, we beat him. What does that tell you? <laughs> um, but Trevor ran by and gave you a hug. And how did, were you, 
I'm sure your first he played is, on the Lakers. Played on the Lakers. Yeah, I'm sorry, yes. I should have said that. So I'm sure your first thing is, well, isn't that nice? But does your mind then start thinking, oh no, yeah. is this on Sports Center? Is that what is that what happens? Yeah, and you know, and I don't, I don't think it's fair to, you know, you can't legislate how you know a true friendship like that, the respect between an organization and a player. And I think if we start doing that, then we're gonna take the heart out of our business. And, and I think that's what makes our league so special is that um, we, you know, we uh, empower the, the, the players to be human beings mm -hmm. and to be part of a community. So Wick, I'm player empowerment. Yeah, so I, I'm, uh, there's a big bright side to it. And I think the, in the 60s, uh, it was really a local, you know, local fans and maybe sort of a, I mean, the, the, the Celtics weren't selling out even when they were going on this championship runs. Basketball was a, you know, a, an afterthought sport in a way, growing. Right. In the 80s, it started to take off with Bird and Magic. Um, 92 started to take it global with the Dream Team and that started to become about the players and right. Michael Jordan took it to a new level. And, um, and now since I came in in 2003, I mean, the league has gone up five times, six times. It's gone completely global. Mm -hmm. And it didn't go global because the Celtics and the Lakers changed their colors or their, you know, we, we're part of it and we're a legacy and we've got all the banners, uh, you know, each of these teams. But it, it's because the players have stepped forward and become global superstars. And we love that, and that's part of our business. It's, we're proud of it. We love being involved with it. We love winning championships with these guys if we possibly can. I mean, so having the players become global icons is the goal. And it's fun to watch for everybody around the world to watch these guys compete in our colors with our support. And so I'm, I'm in favor of it. And the consequence is these guys want to decide where they play. I mean, that's human nature and, that, and they've earned that. And you know, there's maybe around the edges, how is it done and can you make public statements? But empowering these great players to new heights is part of the business and part of life. And when you find a great person in your life and you would try to empower them, that's what you do. So I'm, in, I'm sort of a very positive voice in all of this. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, your team is struggling a bit. Um, oh, sorry, was that for Jeannie? Yeah, wait. <laughs> Are you talking to me or him? <laughs> Actually, it does, it does apply to both. Okay, okay I'll start. I'll start. start. I'll with start. you. Um, a team that was I thought that just <laughs> in the East. Um, <coughs> there's something going on. Um, we are contending in the East. I mean, we're not are? contending for the regular season title in the East. We are contending to get out of the East. Okay. And I think the players that we, not being defensive, just being factual, I think the players we have on the court have the capability of getting to the finals. Mm -hmm. We also have the capability of losing in the first round. Um, and we have a very, very good set of opponents in the East, uh, all of whom seemingly have beaten us in the last month. So that's, that's that. But you know, since no from November to February 1st, we had best record in the league. You know, mm -hmm. February has been the worst February I can remember. Right. Uh, thank God it's March. We're undefeated in March. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I th there's enough here, and the the playoffs is different. You know, let's say Indiana comes in, Philadelphia comes in. We're on the road in. Philly and Milwaukee, and you know that's it's going to be a grind. It's be amazing to get through either one of those teams. Right. But I give us a chance. I don't think anybody wants to play us in the playoffs. So I really do think, after 16 years in the league, I think these guys still have a chance. Um, so we'll, we're going to play it that way. So I asked Josh Harris this question after our panel yesterday. I probably should have asked it during the panel. I asked him if if the playoffs started today, you would play Philadelphia in the first round. 
they're two and nine against you over the last three seasons and you eliminated them last year in the playoffs. So I asked him if Philadelphia were to lose in the first round, would that be a, a disappointment? And he called it very problematic. So I'll ask you the same question. What if your Boston Celtics team, this team that I thought Danny very expertly assembled, loses in the first round? What kind of season will it be for your team? I don't think I need to uh, say that publicly. I want, want, to, want to watch the losses, watch how we played. Uh, losing to a team like Philadelphia would not be a disgrace if it was a hard-fought series. Okay. Um, so I'd, I'd rather not answer that, to be honest. I, I, I don't want to, I, I want to say that I, I'm disappointed so far with how we've played in probably a bunch of our games. Mm -hmm. I've seen flashes. I really have a lot of hope for these guys, so I'm not going to send a negative signal right now. I'm going to say let's, let's not lose in the first round. Okay, cool. Jeannie, your team's a little different, but the carrot for your team is let's get to the playoffs. Let's make the postseason. LeBron has always been to the postseason. Mm -hmm. um, so I ask you the same question. If you can't get there, is this, are you falling short of an expectation or are you falling short of a goal, which I think are two different things. Um, you know, the goal was to make the playoffs um, this season um, because we've sat out the last five years. This would make it six years in a row to not be in the playoffs, which is uh, not where the Lakers are. That's not the standard that we have had set. Um, so, um, you know, there's still an outside chance, but, um, you know, the good news is that we still have our draft pick. So <laughs> if we are, if we don't make the playoffs, then, you know, then we, we you know, take another path and, and we, we move forward. Um, so uh, what I feel is um, we have so many young players, I'd really like them to have an opportunity to get some playoff experience mm -hmm. because it's the only way to get it is to be in the playoffs and we haven't delivered that to them. So, um, you know, so it, it, it'll be a disappointment, uh, you know, and having a player like LeBron, who um, missed almost 20 games this season with an injury. I think there was one game in November where um, Coach Walton had access to every player on our roster that where everybody was healthy. So we've, you know, we've been plagued with injuries and uh, the Western Conference is really tough. And um, we, we are defeated in March. <laughs> we lost last <laughs> night. So, so um, I, I can't even say that. So, um, you know, we're, we're not out of it yet. And, you know, it's really up to them, the players, to, you know, take it up another notch if they really want it to be there. Okay, cool. So I'm going to ask you each, if we can, we're, we're at this point, and I think you're both on the path that you would like to be. I think that's accurate. Mm -hmm. um, and you've had so many celebrated players, both franchises, Hall of Famers. We could fill a room with them. But I'd, I'd like to play a little bit of what if and perhaps a transaction that you wanted to happen that didn't happen or a player that, and maybe I'll start with you, Wick. I know at one point, Chris Paul, Danny was lusting after Chris Paul, I think since the day Chris Paul was born, I'm pretty sure. And you got close, I think, right? A couple times? Uh, yeah, I think he's still... We, we, I'm not sure. Oh, I can, can you talk, talk about, about him? him but, oh, okay, gotcha. But uh, I will say that there was yeah. a there was a trade back in the day when our coach Doc Rivers, who loves golf and basketball, and I'm not sure which one he loves more. He's very good at both of them, each of them. Uh, we wouldn't have won the championship without Doc, uh, right. and he's been huge. But at one point, he offered me 
three strokes a side, six strokes per round for life if we made a certain trade. So I mean, mm -hmm. um, these trades, you know, when you get somebody in your sights, like the Brooklyn deal, when you get people right. in your sights and you want to go get them, you know, you'll throw everything right. in. And uh, there have been some trades we made. Um, I mean, it hurt to let Kendrick Perkins go. Yeah, that was and, a big one, wasn't it? And, it? and we had extra meetings about it and thought again about it and thought again about it and we thought it gave us a better chance. Um, and it, and you know, we didn't uh, end up winning any more, not necessarily because of the trade, but it just hurt to see Perko. When I saw him right. again a month ago and got to have dinner with him, it was just, you know, I just. You want that one back, oh. maybe. But did, there were a couple things at play there. I mean, if I recall, he was talking about a contract extension and his numbers were a little out of line with what. You... I just love Perk. I, I can't help it. I love Perk. <laughs> I love Rondo. Yeah. Uh, they're just, it's just. It's the Trevor Ariza factor, apparently. I, I really, Trevor Ariza, I could take him or leave him, but he seems like a nice guy. But my guys are Perk and Rondo. Your guy's Trevor Ariza yeah. this is the, and Kobe. No, I love having Rondo. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah Rondo's a really he's, interesting he's guy. We could have a whole other panel on Rondo. <laughs> yes, we could. He is unique. <laughs> but, uh, so, Jeannie, he's was hilarious. there a transaction that you made or didn't make or, you know, um, that's yeah. maybe a player that's out of the league now that you can tell us about? It's like, it, you know, um, when the first thing that my dad you know, um, he bought the team in May of 1979, and in June, the draft, uh, he, they had the number one pick, and uh, Jerry West it advised him to take Sidney Moncrief. And my dad <laughs> saw what potential Magic Johnson had mm -hmm. um, in terms of his personality and the showtime kind of thing that he wanted to build. And so, and you know, but what was unusual was Magic came out as a hardship, right. meaning he was uh, 19 years old, whereas usually players stayed through college and then were drafted. And so there was risk taking somebody who, who you'd only seen um, play uh, one year of college basketball. Um, so, uh, you know, my dad knew exactly what he was trying to do in terms of the style of play he wanted, and Magic Johnson was his player. Did they used to play pool? Am I right? They used to play pool. Oh, Magic and your yeah, dad, right? A lot of absolutely. pool. Absolutely. They 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 were um, as close as any two people. Really, um, a very special friendship about uh, you know uh, a businessman mentoring somebody who wanted to learn about business and uh, their relationship is so unique that we're, we're working on a, a six-part documentary series. Oh, you? And you know, lots has been done about Larry Bird and Magic in the 80s, but never really through the eyes of Jerry Buss. And um, I think we'll capture a lot of the, you know, uh, one of the, the uh, popular documentaries was the O.J. Simpson mm -hmm. um, documentary that kind of captured Los Angeles during a, a, a time. And I think uh, the 80s in LA was, was a time where um, the forum was right in the middle of two gang territories. And, but literally when you went to the forum, it, it, was, it was declared a, an area of truce that no gang violence ever took place at the forum. That's how much the Lakers meant to um, the city. And it, 
made everybody get along. Can you describe for, again, we have some younger people on Showtime in the A's. I mean, it was a spectacle. It really was. <laughs> um, what the, the Showtime okay. came from, from, <laughs> from um, Dr. Buss's desire, he, you know, it was about the entertainment. And so um, that uh, he, he wanted, you know, it to, to be not just about basketball, but also the entire event. And that's why when um, the, the, the team would take a break, then the Laker girls would come out so that the show would keep going. And I know there's a lot of people who've talked about, you know, should, um, you know, female dancers be, you know, taken out of sports, it's exploitive or whatever. It, you know, really what it was was about giving the women the platform about it being equal time. Hey, the men get to be, you know, center stage. Now it's the ladies' turns to be center stage. So, um, the, the, you know, the Lakers were the first team to have a dance team perform at games. And we were the last. Uh, you guys were the last. Ipeluk and I went down and met with Red Auerbach before we closed the deal. <laughs> he pulled out a list. There's cigar smoke, his office is in Washington, D.C., always was, little known fact. And uh, there's letter openers and Lots of pictures stuff. of the Pope and Cardinal Cushing and other, you just couldn't even, and there's Red like with the Wizard of Oz in the back. <laughs> you come approach this desk and sit down, he goes, you're the new owners, huh? And he was clearly unimpressed. <laughs> and we were very impressed, and he was unimpressed, and then he said, I got, I got a list. And we had been warned that he was going to have a list, but we is didn't know what true? was on it. This is a great totally story. I've never heard this. And uh, um, I wouldn't make anything up to all these. No, of course you, you I'm sorry. I'm just. Um, I'd make something up to Jeannie. I wouldn't make something <laughs> up to anybody else. And, uh, and he, he says, number one, no dancing girls. <laughs> I'm like, oh. You know, meanwhile, at the time, we had 10,000 people in the stands out of 18,000 seats. And the team was struggling, to say the least. Uh, they were. We hadn't even taken over, and we, we figured we were going to do Showtime Boston or something, and no dancing girls. We didn't have. Finally, right before he passed away, uh, you know, the year before, I said, Red, we'd really like to um, have a dance team. And we've got a sponsor and everything else. And he had told me all along, you've got to pay the bills. Whatever you do, pay the payroll, make the payroll. He had trouble making payroll. Pay the players, put more money into the players, win the championship. So I said, Red, We'd really like, I'd really like your permission to have a dance team. And he said, are you going to make money on it? I said, yes, actually, with a sponsorship, it's going to actually net out some money for the team. He goes, fine, go ahead, the hell with it. So I, I got his blessing. Did, he, did you do it while he was alive? Yeah. Uh, yes. Oh, OK. I, was, I knew it was right near the end of his well, life. Right That's right. The and then it killed him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so his signature is on the inside of this ring, which we uh, uh, Red, because he was so inspirational in, and I asked him, we asked him about hiring Danny. He said, yeah, hire Danny. He's, he's just lucky. He was just born that way, born lucky, and he's a Celtic. So Red had a lot to do with it. So here's to Red, and here's to Jerry. So speaking about a, a time gone by, though, imagine a GM crossing the floor after an exhibition game to confront a referee. Well, Red told me he went and punched an opposing owner. He did, Ben Kerner. Yeah. He, he just did. That's a true went across story. the floor and punched him. And he was telling Miss, like, this is how you, you do it. You know what that was about? It was about <laughs> the win. Red was encouraging me to go smack whomever, Ted Leonsis or Dan Gilbert. Right. But you know what that was about? It's a crossover Lakers-Celtic. It was Bill Sharman. Bill Sharman always knew exactly how high the rims were. 
And so he would go to an arena and shoot before the game, and he could tell if the rims weren't regulation. So he went to Red before the game and said, these rims aren't regulations. So Red, of course, delighted in going to Ben Kerner, who I believe fired him from a job, and said, your rims aren't regulation. And Ben Kerner is like, ew, that's how, it, that's how it all happened. Yeah, but the next thing you know, Red laid there him out. There you go. Those I mean, were, this is those were the you know, days. His, those were his the message days. was, be an instigator, not a retaliator. You know, take the first punch. That's Red Auerbach. Yeah. Um, and now here we are, Lakers Celtics, a little calmer. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit, but we still want to win. I do want to ask you both. Um, do you remember how much your dad paid for the team? Um, it was about $16 million. Wick, how much did you pay for the, uh, the Boston Celtics? Uh, we borrowed a bunch of money and paid $200 million of, uh, of cash. Okay. I think both of your franchises are valued at over $2 billion today. Am I correct? Give or take? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, not looking for, for sale, a loan. So I'm just trying to keep the panel going. <laughs> But I wonder if you can speak to the growth of the NBA since you're, since you're both heavily involved in this. Is there a ceiling or is globalization the, the next thing that carries you to three billion perhaps? I'll just say one quick thing. Uh, I, and I'm glad the question came about it and I'm glad it, but I'm glad it came at the end um, because I'm sure that the Lakers never did it for money. Uh, knowing Jerry and knowing Jeannie and, and, uh, and I know that my group, my partners and I Never did the Celtics for money, although, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we... It's not, it beats a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. With, yeah, right? it does, but it's, the truth of it is it had just had nothing to do with it, and mm -hmm. I was never made of money in any way. Um, not, not like that, but um, anyway, that's why these franchises have been successful is because the people uh, behind them, you know, did it for other reasons, for pride and for greater reasons, or any of my partners in, in the bus family. So I, I just believe that, and I just want to say it before we talk about money. Um, so anyway, global? Well, but I mean, what's, where's the ceiling? Is there a ceiling? Um, I, I think that um, you, you're gonna see a rise in values again once um, we figure out the, the gambling on games. Right, that's and, the next big thing, isn't it? And uh, you know, we have a commissioner who was very proactive and, and, and stepped up and, and you know, the day will come when you'll be able to you know, place bets on teams on your smartphone. And um, you know those that kind of uh, will bring in revenue that that may even someday surpass what we make in broadcast revenues. Yeah. I was that? I was That's speaking really with something. my wife Amelia over there uh, the other day and about this and said it used to be a local sport it's gone national it's gone global and she said yeah that stadium turned into the whole world because the whole world can watch these games now and I was in. Marrakesh, I had a racing, car racing company that was racing in Marrakesh, and I had a board meeting. I was in Marrakesh, Morocco the other day, watching the game at 1 a.m. on a cell connection in Marrakesh. Wow. With yeah. no lag, full high def, or it looked like high def on whatever the best an iPhone screen is. Maybe it's not technically high def, but it was high def, and it was no lag, and, uh, and we lost. So, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, you know, you can watch anywhere. Our, I think our our broadcast rights over, overseas can go up 5x or 10x, whereas our broadcast rights in the States are, it'd be foolish to assume they can go much higher because they're very high, but um, we're trying to give them good value. Maybe they will. But overseas is the, it, we're one of the two global sports, soccer and basketball, and I think the future is so bright for the NBA. China, right? China's your, yeah. your big fit. Okay, I'm gonna take some questions because I should have done that sooner. Um, for each of you, good question. Your all-time Lakers starting five, 
Good luck with that. All-time Celtics starting five. Good luck with these. that. I, we got 42 players in the Hall of Fame. So not my not I have a my starting problem. 42. Starting 42. Go ahead. I don't do these. Okay. All right. I'll ask you another question. With player movement and free agency, can any two teams ever have the same rivalry that the Lakers and Celtics have? Is it, is it possible anymore? That's a good question, whoever asked that. You have to answer one of these questions. Yeah. I, I, that's a tough question. This is, I mean, we've got between us 33 championships and uh, between our organizations, 33 championships. We're one and one, um, but I, I just don't, let's just keep it going. Yeah. But I mean, it's no. possible because of player movement is what I guess the question is, right? Because as, to your point, Jeannie, very few players will begin and end their careers yeah. with the same team any yeah. longer. Yeah. I mean, I think it's your fan base that really drives the rivalry. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I couldn't get over going to the game last night. Everyone was wearing green. I'm like, wow, <laughs> they wear it deep. It's like, that's their team. Okay. Um, for each of you, what is the hardest decision you've had to make as an owner that you feel impacted your franchise? And that can be on or off the court, I would say. Hardest decision. Um, for me, it was um, having to fire my brother. <laughs> I can imagine. That must be really hard. No, I mean, it, it, was, it was difficult, but um, you know, it was important to my dad that the Lakers um, stay relevant, and he gave me the authority and the power to, to make any changes necessary mm -hmm. to make sure that the, the franchise wouldn't falter, and that's why I did it. So how much does that mean to you? You have brothers, you have sisters, mm -hmm. and you were the one that had that connection with your dad. That must, that's an awesome responsibility, isn't it? You know, I mean, I, I spent many years by his side, um, attending Board of Governors. He knew that I knew what was important to, to keep. I like, I like saying that, you know, my dad had six kids, but the Lakers was the baby, and he wanted me to take care of the baby. And so I did what I had to do. So it, I guess it wasn't that hard, because I knew I had to do it. Okay. So, Wick? The hardest part of all this actually was deciding to buy the team in the first place and going all in on that and then attracting great partners and getting the deal done and believing that I could run it as a day-to-day -day CEO, um, that was by far the hardest part because everything since then, I've tried to think of what would Red do. I've had great partners. I've had fans helping me out with advice every single day in the streets <laughs> of Boston um, by email and everything else. Um, but really the hardest part was, was believing that this could happen and that I could, with help and with others, lead it something this great, so much bigger than myself. So the decision since, the trades have been hard and they haven't always worked out. Losing seasons are very tough. Um, you know, any season where you don't end with a trophy is brutal and difficult, but the hardest part was getting here and I'm thankful to everybody who helped get me here. You've okay. done a great job, Wes. Thank you. You really have. You too. Okay, what are the single most important components to build to winning culture and chemistry? We were looking for those this year. A little bit, yep. The chemistry is um, winning culture and chemistry. Doc Rivers, brilliant coach, took the big three when we put them together, our version of the big three, 
in the summer of 07, fall of 07, he took him around in the duck boats and he said, this is what it's gonna look like when we win and we've gotta win it this year because you guys aren't getting any younger. But you, they were each averaging, averaging 21 to 23 points. He said, he said, that's gonna come down and your assists are gonna go up. If you're about your numbers this year, we're not gonna get back to these duck boats. Mm -hmm. And you look and they each went down to 17 points a game, assists went higher and we went, you know, 66 and 16. So it was about, for the better good, Ubuntu was his phrase, winning as a village, there are many ways to translate Ubuntu, that's also on the ring. Um, and uh, so that's what it takes to get all the way, in my experience, is going all in for the team and not being about yourself. So Jeannie, you may or may not know this, but during that season, 2008, when the Celtics went to play the Lakers, do you know this story? Most, I don't know if many of you do. He made each player take out $100. The fact that they all had $100 is shocking to me to begin with. They all had to give Doc $100, and he put it in an envelope, and he stuffed it up in the ceiling of the Lakers visiting locker room. And they're all like, what are you doing, dude? And he said, the only way we come back here to get this money is if we're in the finals. <laughs> and when they went back to the finals, the money was still there. Either that or he's got a great prop inside your Lakers organization <laughs> to put it there for him. I'm not sure. I thought that was like a fairy tale. I no, that's know. a true story. Did it really that's happen? A true story. Okay, that's a so same story. question, Jeannie. Bill, um, what you are know, the components? For me, it was it's about you know um, we were faltering as an organization because we didn't have the leadership. We were changing coaches every 18 months. Mm -hmm. You couldn't figure out where, what kind of, what was Laker basketball because when you change coaches, because we had good coaches, we had Mike Brown, Mike D'Antoni, but when you change coaches like that, you can't change the roster fast enough to match the style of play that they would want to play. So it was just, we were all over the map. And so what I wanted to do was bring in somebody that could establish what Laker basketball means. And so Magic Johnson was the right person for us because as he's put together the team, you see what he's trying to do. Every decision that's made complements the decision that was made before. And you know that led us to through free agency to land the best player in the NBA in LeBron James because he could see now, okay, this is what they're doing. We're not there yet, but he has faith in what Magic's building. Our fans have faith. They understand you know, what uh, is being put together. And I think you know, the biggest challenge for that are the, the, the fake news about how we were supposedly um, trading our entire roster for a certain player, which is completely not true. But those kind I'm of sorry stories. Sorry, I leaked that. <laughs> no, no. Those stories leak leak out, and and it hurt. It hurt our young players. It wasn't fair. Um, Magic got in front of that, and I think we're we're back on the right track. Hopefully, that'll allow us to to make a playoff push. Right. Coming up here, so but you're not going to trade all those young guys for a certain player. I just want to make this very clear. You guys this can is called a double sneak. You can talk about this later, but I do want to follow up with Irvin because I think it's been interesting. Um, I think Irvin's biggest strength, which is communication and expressing himself, has sometimes been his biggest weakness in this role. I wonder if you can address that. He said some things that 
you probably shouldn't have said in the yeah. role he's in. Yeah, he, he cost us half a million dollars <laughs> in fines. Right. Um, you know, I, I think he's, he's a very personable guy. And when he does interviews, he likes to maybe say too much just, you know, because that's who he is. But he's, he's, he's evolved as an executive and he hasn't, he, he knows what he, he needs to do now, but, um, and we, we want magic out there. We don't want him to not um, be himself and be the face of the franchise, because he is. Just one more question on magic. How much in percentages do you think he had to do with getting, landing LeBron? Was he a major? Oh yeah, fan? we would not have had LeBron if it wasn't for magic. Okay, cool. I think we're three, two, one out of time. Jeannie Bush and Wick Grosbeck. Jackie McMullen. Great panel. Thank you. Thanks, kiddo. Have a great Thanks. Thanks, Jackie. That was really good. If you want to hear these panels in person next year on March 6th and 7th, 2020 in Boston, please register for the 14th annual MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference at sloansportsconference.com. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.